Amen. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Uh, let me begin this morning by uh, saying happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. Uh, we're so thankful for all that you have done and been for us, and so we want to begin the day thanking you for that. We also want to say thanks if you're visiting with us, whether you're here with family or here to see mom or, or just in for the week. We're glad that you came to worship with us, and hopefully you can take a moment and fill out a visitor card, and uh, we'll have a record of your visit, and we'll be able to get back with you and uh, see if there's any ways that we can minister to you and your family as well. Uh, we do have several announcements today that I want to share with you. I'll let you read through the bulletin. You'll see several that are in there. I do want to highlight, uh, we put it in there early so you wouldn't forget that in July, uh, we have our next fellowship dinner. We, the session is decided every quarter on the month that has five Sundays. And so I know July seems to be a hot month, but hey, thank the Lord for the warm weather because in December, you always say it's too what? cold. So I'm just going to hold that against you, that regardless of the weather, come and enjoy it. Here's what I'm praying about. The session doesn't know this yet, so don't tell them. But <laughs> what would be really nice is if that day we can work it out. We don't have Sunday school that day. And so, hey, let's go outside if it's worth it. Have a picnic, set up the games, have a good time. If it's too hot, we got a whole fellowship hall downstairs and activities as well. But it will be a fellowship time again so we want you to bring your food, but plan that day if you're not traveling. Even if some are away, and sometimes it might be smaller, it's a good opportunity to get to know those that you haven't had a chance to get to know and to fellowship as well. So we put that in there for you ahead of time to do that. Next week is our congregational meeting for voting only. We will finally vote on Grady and Kevin uh, to be uh, deacons. They've been through the training and they've come through the exams of the session, but we had to wait again a certain amount of time for the votes. And so next week, right after service, we promise we will only take a couple minutes, just long enough to call us to a meeting, to pass out ballots, and to allow you to cast your vote for Grady Bannister and Kevin Newton to serve as deacons. So please uh, mark that as well. Um, other than that, we do have several other things I'll share, but Phil and Karina are with us this morning. He's been doing an internship over at Safe Harbor, and uh, they've having some changes and some plan changes with missions, and so it's going to be exciting to let him come. He's going to come and take a moment to share what's going on in their life. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back. So um, I have been with Karina and I. We've been at uh, Safe Harbor. Um, in order to be ordained in the PCA church, uh, a candidate has to have you know, experience under uh, a pastor, uh, a mentor, doing different roles at, uh, in pastoral ministry, so teaching and preaching. So I've been able to preach a couple times at Safe Harbor and uh, looking forward to being able to teach, you know, adult Sunday school classes. Um, so that's what we've been doing there. Um, and, uh, but uh, as some of you know, and some of you have just heard, there will be changes to what we're doing in missions. Um, and. It was very difficult for us to come to this conclusion, but we felt like God was leading us away from Madrid. Um, and it was very encouraging, on one hand, to be able to talk to missionaries in MTW that had been missionaries for decades, and, and they weren't surprised. And so we were very, very hesitant, like, is this, is this really something, is there something wrong with us? Um, but we were very encouraged by people that we spoke to and um, 
our resource rep at MTW was like, okay, so where, where are you looking at now? And uh, mentioned a few places. And what we ended up doing was to send a profile of our family and what we've done in ministry to the international director of Europe. And he sent it out to all the fields and four people responded. And so we've, we've spoken to um, the regional director over the UK. We've spoken to the team in Lisbon, Portugal. And we've spoken to a team in uh, Bulgaria and in Slovakia. And our team, the, the team in Portugal, was uh, very excited to have that conversation with us, as were we. And so yesterday, we purchased tickets to go to Lisbon uh, on a vision trip. And uh, we are excited on one hand because Portu Portugal and Spain, uh, in terms of you know, our expectations for what ministry would be like um, in terms of support raising, they're very comparable, um, some very similar uh, aspects to culture and um, what we would be expecting. So that was, uh, it was very comforting. And so we are praying that that is a good fit, that, that the team is convinced that that is a good fit and that we are convinced of that. Um, all of those options that I mentioned would all be church planting efforts. So they would all be ch planting churches, uh, reformed churches, and um, campus ministry. You know, it was also a main aspect of our ministry in Spain that we were anticipating. And that, um, depending on the field, may be something that we can look into um, right away or may, may take some time to develop. But uh, anyway, I, I wanted, I'm glad to be able to share this with all of you, and I'm thankful for your prayers. Uh, as I said, it was very difficult for us, and so the last few weeks in particular, um, last month, month and a half, were, were very difficult for us emotionally, spiritually, um, but we're convinced that what has happened is not in spite of our prayers or your prayers for us, um, but rather the Lord leading us through your prayers, and so that's been very encouraging. And if all goes well, this really shouldn't set us back at all. We should be on target to um, be at our pre-field training in January and, um, and then off to the field early next year. Uh, for everybody who is interested, who has not uh, subscribed to our uh, email list or our, our website, in the back in the narthex on, on the table um, on that side, is a little flyer and it has a QR code on it and you can scan that QR code and then fill out your name and email or, and then it'll, it'll take about 30 seconds to do and then we can um, get you on that, on that list. So thank you very much for your prayers. I'll be around after the service um, and uh, I'm sure there's a, there's a lot to say that I didn't say and, and maybe some questions. So thank you very much and uh, God bless. We'll uh, pray in just a moment for it, but let's take a moment now just to personally pray for Phil and Karina, and uh, you'll have an opportunity to catch up with them and find out what all's going on. If you'll sign up, uh, he'll keep up with all of you, but let's take just a moment and let me pray for them specifically. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your work, uh, your guidance, your care, your providence. Lord, we realize that it's not just one event that takes place that makes a decision. It's every event that we've been through, every circumstance we faced, every couple we've met, Lord, we just look back and realize that in our minds, sometimes things change. But Lord, from your perspective, we're right on track. 
you've kept us right where you want us to be. And Lord, I pray that Phil and Karina uh, will feel that same way, uh, that as we look at changes that are being made, that they'll find assurance that uh, they are still following you right where you want them to be. And to, to take that time to be in the right place and to be with the right team, uh, Lord, we just pray that you'll go before them as they travel and uh, that it'll become obvious just where you want them to be. Uh, Lord, we lift them up to you as they surrender to serve you and just ask that you'll bless them as they make uh, the, the efforts and set the blaze to go. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We do have a few other announcements you'll see that are in there. I'll, I'll just quickly uh, mention that uh, I'll hopefully be meeting this week uh, about some summer internships that uh, Session has approved, and uh, we've made some contacts, and we'll see if they work out. We know that our uh, family that has been with us for seven years, uh, Nick and Kirsten and them, will be leaving soon, and we're waiting patiently. We want to see where the church fits and what our needs are, and the Session has committed to be praying about that. We want you to commit to pray about that. But in the meantime, this summer, many of you may have been here in the past when we've had them before, uh, but our plan is to have both a male and a female summer intern, and so they'll be here for the entire summer, hopefully, to be able to help plan our youth activities and teach our lessons and mentor our children and plug in with them and uh, to help take that spot throughout the summer uh, while so many of us are busy and traveling and going on. So uh, pray for that as I begin to put that together. Uh, we also want to say thanks to all the people who were here for work day. Um, I wasn't here, thank the Lord. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I shouldn't say it that way. We, we were coaching soccer, and we did win, so that's all that matters. And no, I came back to a wonderful place. Folks, the windows, the, the carpets, the, the baseboards, the pews. I haven't even been downstairs yet. I'm afraid to see what's all changed. Uh, downstairs, but uh, I was told many people showed up to help. Thank you for all of you who showed up. What a blessing it is when we can pitch in and help out and be a part. So thanks. Uh, I know the deacons appreciate all that you did to help with that as well. And then lastly, I won't plug it too much. I know uh, Carl's not here this morning, but I want to say thanks to all the men. Uh, if you did come, I think we had eight or nine men that came to the men's chorus. Is that what it was? Ten. Yeah, that's how good we sounded. Ten. Uh, we had 10 men come to our Wednesday practice men's course. What a blessing uh, to be around those men who love to sing and to put together stuff. And I won't spoil it for you. I know Carl's going to work with us, but I think you're in for a great treat. Men, if you want to come be a part of it, uh, what a blessing. I believe we're still going to meet Wednesday at 6 p.m. at 6.30. <laughs> this is what happens when men get going. You just... <laughs> I'll tell you what, just, just tell the pastor to get out of there, and we can do it. So I'm just there to have fun, but uh, it's wonderful to be with the men who, who love this. So if you enjoy singing at all, uh, we invite you to come and to learn with us as we go through and do some fabulous things, I think it'll be as we bring things for you to worship. So, But other than that, bear with me as we go this morning. We're going to change the order a little different as I was praying about confessing. I was thinking a few weeks back when we come to the temple of the Lord, how we would wash our hands and prepare ourselves for worship. And so I've moved our confession to the front where we can actually confess our sins, find assurance, and get ourselves prepared as we worship. And so let me begin this morning and read the meditation. If you'll take just a moment to listen and then we'll confess our sins together, and then we'll begin worship. Almighty God, your glory is above the heavens. Praise waits for you in Zion. Out of your great mercy, you have gathered us into your church. 
receive the adoration of our hearts and grant that we may so honor you, both in spirit and obedience, that your name may be glorified through the worship of our lips and of our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Pray with me as we confess our sins right there in your bulletin together as we begin worship. O oh Lord, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants. Lord, we are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. We have trusted ourselves and not trusted you. We have transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Now, O Lord our God, who redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ, please turn away your anger and your wrath from us. Hear our prayers and petitions. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And as we come to be cleansed and prepared to worship, we find in Psalm 146, to put not our trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. So join me if you're able, stand together as we prepare to sing to the Lord. Let me call us to worship from Psalm 66. Shout joyfully to God all the earth, sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Please pray with me. Almighty God, we know, Lord, that all that we have comes from you, Lord. At this time in our worship service, as an act of worship, we offer our tithes and offerings to return to you a portion of that which you have given to us to use for your plan and your purpose to advance your kingdom. And we ask that you would bless it and use it for your purposes. We ask these things in the name of your Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would take just a moment and pray for our church, and then I'll lead us in our pastoral prayer. But let's take just a moment, and you pray how the Lord leads you in your heart for our church. Heavenly Father, we come to the throne of grace. Father, so many times as we do, requesting. Lord, asking, many times begging for you to hear. Father, help us to understand that it's already been opened and we've been invited. It's the place we should be, that we should come unquestionably into your presence, prepared only by your Son, Jesus Christ, to ask whatever it is. And Lord, according to your will, 
we ask that it be done. Lord, we pray for our family this morning. We pray for continued healing uh, through the surgeries and pain relief for Dan Little, his family as they travel, that you'll provide protection for them to help them return safely to us. Lord, again, we pray for Phil and Karina and their children. Uh, Lord, as their family travels, as they discern a new place, uh, that it would be the perfect place that they serve you. For Ken and Marilyn Deans, uh, just to be able to get up and to get around and to be able to, to be mobile. For safety, strength, the stamina to go from day to day. Pray for Marilyn as she continues to minister to him. We pray for the little fields. Lord, just the blessing of our family that's been unable to be a part here, yet they are so much a part of us where they are as we lift them up that you would continue to help Dick gain strength to answer the desires of their hearts and what they'd like to achieve this summer. We pray for Bill and Kim, Lord, just that you would give her the strength uh, to trust, that you would give him the strength to continue obeying. And Lord, for the healing and the treatments that have done so much in their lives already, that they, you would just continue to show forth to them, that their confidence not be in the doctors, but in the work that you have accomplished in their lives. Lord, we pray for Harley and his ability to be strong, that you'll touch his heart and mind to, Lord, give him the passion to want to go forward, to want to do more, to want to be strong, uh, the desire to want to go forward. Lord, and we pray for Carol, just her strength that is necessary as one who cares for another constantly, that, Lord, you would give her peace, that you would give her opportunities. Father, use us if we are able, that she might find relief, uh, that she might find fellowship, as she finds herself limited in many ways, as she cares and remains committed to what she's promised to be faithful to. We pray for Beth Bauer's mother, Sylvia, strength and healing uh, from her heart issues. For Jean Fultz, the missionary who's just returned uh, to the field, was ill, pray for his healing. For Eric and Anna Graham, uh, some of our missionaries that are serving, Lord, with MTW as well in Bogota, Colombia. Lord, we just pray for them and also for Latin America. Lord, we, we lift up others in our church this week who have asked for prayer. Lord, we gather together as a body that separates us from the rest of the world because we have one to go to when we're hurting. We have one to go to when we're in need and when we're confused. Lord, we just pray that you would help us share that with others, that they too, Lord, according to your will, would know just where to run when they need to hide. That you would take them beneath that wonderful care and compassion and cover them as well. And Lord, whoever it is this morning that needs that compassion, that extra care, for their sins to be covered, their scars to be healed, their sores to be made well, that they would realize that it's not coming from the preaching of the word, the singing of the word, or the upholding of the word, but it's coming from the word made flesh, your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to focus on him. Lord, as we gather together and pray this, we all know that we can boldly come to the throne of grace. Lord, being able to pray together as one as you taught us, saying, 
Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Not only do we come in his presence to pray and lift him up before us, but we confess our faith in him. Not just coming to him, but our faith in him. So before we continue and prepare our hearts for the message, join me as we confess our faith as we continue through the larger catechism. I'll read the light print, the question, if you'll join me together in the answer. How does the moral law apply particularly to the unsaved? The moral law awakens the consciences of the unsaved to flee from the coming wrath and so drives them to Christ. But if they continue in their unsaved and sinful condition, the law has left them without excuse and under its curse. Well, how does the moral law apply specifically to the saved? Although those who are saved and believe in Christ are freed from the moral law as a covenant of works, so that they are neither justified nor condemned by it, Nonetheless, in addition to the general application of the moral law to all humans, it specifically shows believers how much they owe to Christ for fulfilling it and for enduring its curse in their place and for their good. This recognition spurs believers on to a greater thankfulness so that they try all the harder to observe the law as their personal standard for living. And where is the moral law summarized? The moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments, which were delivered by the voice of God on Mount Sinai and written down by him on two stone tablets. They are recorded in Exodus 20. The first four commandments establish our obligations to God and the remaining six are obligations to human beings. And as we realize just what he has done for us in obtaining all this, we realize just how important he is to us. And so let's prepare our hearts as we prepare for Mark. I hope you brought your Bibles along with you so that you could join me as we begin a new journey. If you're visiting with us this morning or haven't been in a while, we're journeying now on a new venture we have finished up studying through our doctrines of salvation, and I'd like to take you on a journey now, hopefully for several weeks or even months, or I guess it could be years and years based on the path of the track we take. But I want to take you on a journey on the shortest of our Gospels, who takes us on the quickest journey through the Gospel, and that is the Gospel of Mark. And so, uh, this morning I would like to take just a few moments a little, I guess, more brevity than others to give you an introduction before, but yet to not skip over the importance of what Mark is really all about. I could ask you to raise your hand this morning. I wouldn't want to put you on the spot of how many of you have read the gospel of Mark. 
Mark has been one of the probably most studied of the Gospels because Matthew, as written to the Jews, many just accepted, was the first. And many still today, uh, if you're in scholarships, would say that it was the message to the Jews and he was first. But many, many years have gone on where many have now tried to put together the four-document hypothesis or the two-document hypothesis or the Q or the Kale document theories. And I could bore you to death on the scholarship that has gone into trying to figure out why Mark is what he is. If you were to take the Gospels, you could take Mark completely out of the Scriptures and only lose a few passages. That's how much Mark shares material from Matthew, Luke, and John. Now, John's different than most in his whole perspective, but as it comes down to it, Mark is the one who writes the quickest. I want to bore you with all the details as I give you some of the background information. Realize, if you haven't read Mark, sit down and start reading Mark this afternoon. You can do it in a short time. I took my daughter to practice the other week and uh, sat in the parking lot and decided I was going to use some useful time as I watched them practice and meditating. I'd done it several times, and I thought, you know what? Let me just see how long it takes. I don't know how fast you can read, but out of the chapters of Mark, I can tell you I read all but the last chapter, went through 15 chapters of Mark in just over an hour and some watching soccer practice. And I can tell you it's true, the one word that's going to pop out to you more than anything else is this Greek word, eutheos. And it is the word that says what? Immediately. It is the one word in Mark that if I were to tell you, if you had to summarize Mark, just to say to someone immediately. Just look at him. Because it's only every couple passages of Scripture, Mark is taking us on a journey of salvation and is uninterested in the things that the others have spoken about. Now, I'm not saying they don't care, but Mark does not start out with a genealogical list to try to prove who Jesus is, where he came from, and who he belongs with. He doesn't start out with a lengthy understanding of his background. He doesn't start like John and tie him to the very beginning as the Word made flesh. John goes back to the preachings of Isaiah and simply says, all that we were promised in salvation and the good news that was to come and the blessings that were to be here all started when Jesus hit the scene. So let's forget everything else and get right to who? To Jesus. And so he begins his gospel with the coming of John and this messenger telling you that the time is here. I don't know where you are this morning, and I don't want to preach just a background sermon to you and then an altar call, but I would like to take a moment to simply ask you, where are you with the message that's been proclaimed? Who was the forerunner in your life? Oh, I know it all has to be brought to the Holy Spirit who brings the conviction and brings us in and changes our hearts and desires. But if you could run through your mind for just a moment, it was John that obviously came pronouncing that one was coming after him, that things were going to change. The things that have been promised from the beginning by God are now present, alive, and active on earth. Times have now changed. I'm not interested in who your grandparents are. I know for years and years you would share your joys by flopping out the photos of your wallet 
And ladies, yours was a whole lot thicker than ours, because men, we might have one or two photos from years ago. And women, you could take it, and you remember the commercials, you could have your wallet, and maybe only two or three dollars, but when you opened it up, what would happen? It would be like a portfolio of your life, of all the stuff that happened. Now we don't do that, because now you just hold your phone up and do what? I don't know how many times someone has said to me, hey, Jerry, I got something I want to show you. And I said, all right. And they'll turn their phone. I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go. (laughs) Because what happens is not the mini photos. It's going like this. Okay, hold on. I had one here somewhere. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) Yeah, you've done this. I know. And yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm looking at the number at the top that says (laughs) 7,362. Like, you've, you've been busy doing something else. My kids taught me just the other day. They said, Dad, how long have you been on your phone today? I said, well, I haven't had my phone on me. I don't know, 30 minutes? And my, my older daughter there, Omar at the time, and Amber are the ones. They said, let me see. And I thought, uh-oh, they're going to check up on me now. Parents, I didn't know this. I just used my phone to talk. They looked at my phone and said, Dad, you've been on the phone 37 minutes today. I thought, oh, this is turning back right on to you. Because now I know, I turn to my wife, my wife, wonderful blessing, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Let me say that before I say this, because <laughs> my daughters just had to say this, how long has mom been on the phone? And mom immediately says, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, here comes the justifications. Now, I can't give you the exact amount. Six hours, 37 minutes, and 22 (laughs) seconds of time that was on her phone. But I have learned how to do that. But folks, we're living in a generation, Mark's not into that. Mark is not coming to you, and he's saying to you, look, before I talk with you, let's get through some of the good stuff. Let's make friends. You know, the old friendship evangelism, let me use that. As Larry Coleman used to bring it out in the master plan of discipleship and evangelism, before you have the right to talk to someone, just make friends with them, get to know them, get to know about them so that they'll trust you. It's called friendship evangelism, and Mark just scraps that, and he says, I don't care about being friends. I don't care where you came from. What I want you to know is the one God promised is now on earth, and times are going to change because now it's about repentance and faith, not the law. Now it's about what's truly happening in your heart, not the things that you've accomplished. Now it's about whether or not you're following him rather than following other things. One of the major themes of Mark is called discipleship. It's all about how close are you to Jesus. So I ask you again this morning, before I ever even read the passage this morning, who was the forerunner in your life? And just how close are you now to Jesus? Was it mom? Dad? Grandpa? Grandma? Girlfriend? Boyfriend? Who was it that was the one that cried out to you and said, hey, listen, there's something about your life that needs to change, and there's one who can change it, and he's here. And he knows everything you're doing. You can no longer hide it from him. You can no longer try to cover that up. You can no longer act as though as long as you do the right things in front of the right people that you can be perfect. Mark immediately gets to the point and says, if you don't overcome the sin, 
and you can't get saved in Jesus Christ, then you're going to go to hell. That's Mark. And immediately, he uses that term, he moves on. This is the introduction. It's tied together in the several verses. I'm going to split it only for the sake of this morning. And that is what it says here in Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the intro. Tied to this. Just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Now I'm going to stop there because we will pick up with an opportunity to explain all that. And we'll look at some of Isaiah But I want to take just a moment to help you understand a few things. First of all, I want you to understand this background. Mark is now writing at a time in which I believe the scholars have come together, in which many would say that Mark was probably the first of the writings and that others put together. That's why the similarity is there. But regardless, that it was probably written sometime in the 60s. It is a time in which Nero, who was the emperor at the time, was persecuting Christians all throughout Rome. For those of you who are historians, you could go back and do more than I, but it's the time period in which Rome, if you had understood, took to one of the greatest fires in history, and most of the city itself was burned. Under his leadership, he decided that, you know, I'm not taking the blame for that. I'd like to pass it along to someone else, and so he blamed it on those unfriendly people called Christians, and they're the ones that did this. And in retaliation to what he was going to do in order that that city could be recompensed for and that justice could be done, he began to do something that many of you know was horrible. Believers everywhere were being arrested brought into the figures of the death penalty. In order to make it as a lesson for others, he began to think it could be even worse, and he began to take some of them as he round up together all the Christians, bound them together. He took some of them and clothed them in wild animal skins so that the dogs would hate them, go after them, and tear them up. He would take others that he thought was maybe not gruesome enough yet, and he would take and throw them into the lion's den in front of the people of the Colosseums so that the lions could play with them as toys until they were lifeless beings being flopped around. Some he even took and dipped in tar and set them on fire and used them as torches in the gardens of the imperial class. These are the ones Mark's writing to. These are the people that are clinging to a hope that where are the promises of God? Where is the deliverance that's supposed to come? How can this be happening to those of us? We've committed our lives to follow this God who's promised to redeem us, and yet we're suffering in situations like this. And yet Mark's writing to you and I to say the gospel has now begun. All that has been promised to us is now in reality. All that God said he would do for you is now in the grips of our hands. We can now not only understand him, but we can reach out and touch him. We can follow him. And we can be a part of everything that he's ever promised. An audience of Mark were the suffering servants of the greatest servant of all. 
Mark's audience is you and I, Gentiles, outside the chosen race in which the message of salvation has come, and now your life can be different. So Mark writes not only about this background, but he gives us the beginning. It's the beginning of the gospel. It's the same word, arche, that is used. You could translate it in the Old Testament. It goes back to the same ones that are used in the book of Genesis, just the beginnings. It's the beginning of the mark, of the gospel. That's what he's telling us. It's tied to something greater than just a person who was coming. The gospel is tied to something that has a much greater beginning. It goes beyond the person who is just heralding a truth. If you don't understand what it is about the gospel, the good news, that word euangelion that it comes from is the word that is used in many different cultures and throughout. In the Greco-Roman world, it was the term that was used for glad tidings. It was a word that would be used as they were coming back from military victory and someone would be shouting out the great tidings and the great news of all that has happened and the one that was heralding would be the one rewarded. You see, the person who was coming back with the good news wanted to be the first They didn't want to finish the war and be the last to make sure everything was done. They wanted to be the first to get back and tell the king, look, this is the good news, because they would reward the one bringing the good news. And so John comes heralding the good news. Let me give you a bit of study. I'll save you some time. The good news of the tidings in the Greco-Roman world is always used the same word, euangelio, in its plural form. It's always plural for tidings. But everywhere used in the New Testament, it's in its singular form. Because there's only one place to find good news. It's in the one person who? Jesus Christ. In the Gospels, you can read it in the entire New Testament. It goes from being this wonderful outburst of all kinds of good things that take place. John did not come. Mark is not writing about the good news. Hey, look, man, we got all kinds of new cars, new electricity, new standards, new jobs, new homes, new ways to get along. We've got new systems for our church and new alarm systems and ways to protect your house and ways to hook your phones up. And he wasn't bringing this good news of all kinds of things. He narrowed it down to one word into one person and said if you want to know what really matters most all the goodness is tied up in one single word and it's the good news that Jesus Christ has come anything else you're attracted to has just led you away from the tidings that you're supposed to receive Oh, these suffering Christians needed good news. They didn't want to hear that, oh, there'd be a new emperor, oh, there'd be different streets, new cities, new homes, a city rebuilt. They needed to know what was most important in their lives to be fixed. They wanted to know that they were right with God. It wasn't just the background and the beginnings of this gospel, it came all of a sudden to believing this good news. If you go back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, let me just read this to you. Not the passage that's there for you. But here's what it says in Isaiah 52. 
it says this, verse 7, How delightful on the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who announces peace and brings the good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to us, your God reigns. Have you ever heard that jingle? How lovely. Have you ever heard that? How lovely are the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news. Good news. Announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness, our God reigns, our God reigns. And you go on and sing the jingle, we've got songs for it. The good news was longed for for centuries, that someone would come and say, he's now here, he's your God. He's the one that promised to change your life. It went even farther. You could go just a few verses over or into chapter 61. I won't sing them all to you to belabor it. But he simply said this in chapter 61. In the first few verses, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives, and to free the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a cloak of praise instead of a disheartened spirit. And maybe this morning, Mark's writing to you because you're the one that has the disheartened spirit. Why me? Why this long? Why this hard? Why did I have to be the one? Why did you choose me? Why do I have to be the one to fix it? It's amazing how it comes to the humble-hearted when all of a sudden we realize Mark is preaching the beginning. It starts when Jesus is here, and he's now come. It's not about the background. We can't go back and change Rome. We can't go back and change World War I. We can't start how it even started in the recent days of Russia and Ukraine. You can't even change what started at the first of this year. You can't go back to the first of May and connect it together. You see, we can't go backward to try to find out what it is. You must look forward to the gospel message that Jesus is here and that the good news is the message tied to him. It's not about our doctrines. It's not about our faiths in the sense of what we believe in the truths on paper. Mark is a wonderful example of taking what is known as an oral tradition and the truths of that he knew and what he proclaimed and put them in writing. He moves us right along in a journey so that all of us realize that this is all about how close we are to him, to Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God. The beginning is with Jesus, not with your history and your past, not with the sins that you've committed. It doesn't go back with the ways that you've lived before, the changes that had to have been made. It begins with Jesus Christ. This morning, no matter where you are, no matter what needs to change, it begins with Jesus Christ. The one that John says he's not even worthy to loose his straps. You know, I wish you would turn to me. Jerry, I'd like you to solve all my problems. I can solve all of them with no problem at all. If I could just point you to who? To Jesus. And sometimes I myself, in humble reliance on the Lord, need to realize I really don't have anything to offer you at all. And sometimes I need to be reminded myself that as much as I would like to think I could help you, I have all kinds of tidings I could bring you. Ways that you should do your kids like I did mine. How you should handle your funds the way I've handled mine. And how you should reach to your parents like I've done mine. And how churches can grow the way I've tried to do mine. And I have all kinds of tidings to bring to you. And then I'm reminded that none of those are the ones that's in Scripture. That the one tiding I was called to bring you was the good news found only in who? In Jesus Christ. And if I haven't been able to point you to the one who was before me, then I haven't brought you any good news at all. Mark takes us on the journey immediately. It's all about this relationship with Jesus Christ, how close we are to him. Discipleship is defined by Mark, not on what you have done for Jesus, but how close you've been with Jesus. If I asked you this morning what it is you've done for him, those are easily answered questions because I've done my Bible study, I've done my daily readings, I've done my chores that I should, and I've done my work on the food bank, and I've done my work around the church, and I've done my work for the ministry groups, and I've done my... You could list the things that you have done and still not be close to Jesus at all. I like how one writer put it in one of the New Testament commentaries. He said, Mark must have come to a true understanding that a true disciple of Jesus can only be learned through apprenticeship. You must be willing to walk close to Jesus to learn how to be like Jesus. Mark takes us on this, who is Jesus? Who is this one who's the Son of God? It's not about all of our doctrines. I've told you, it's not just about being with Jesus. It's or, or believing facts about Jesus. Listen to some of the things that Mark tells us about our faith. He has people come to him who are sick and they're healed. They have people with diseases that have been now cured. He has women who have been caught with sicknesses that have been overcome. People who have lamed that have been made to walk. He has people who've come with evil spirits who've been cast out and the demons have listened. He had people walking on water to calm the storms. You see, in 
in Mark's mind, what's happening is you're having the presence of one who controls everything from the sicknesses, the disease, the sorenesses, to the winds, to the heavens. He controls it all. And the best thing you could do is just get as close to him as you could. Anything else is short of discipleship. Sitting in my car across from the goal, I felt the Bible say to me, is your church taking you away from Jesus? Hmm. Pity parties. A lot of changes. A lot could happen. Not sure how long, how much more, who's going to be next. That still small voice, but is your church taking you away from Jesus? Are you more focused on what you're going to do? Or are you focused on how close you can be? I would ask you the same question. Church is probably not your job. It is mine. But maybe you should be asking yourself, what is it that's taking me away from Jesus? What is it that's taking me away? I'm finding that I'm drifting I don't read his word as much as I used to. I don't like memorizing it anymore. Very seldom pray. I haven't done much to serve him. Been too busy, other things to do. I'm just asking you. Maybe you should come up with the same answer I did. And then what do you do next? What changes do you make so that you can be closer to Jesus? I will tell you this. The answer that I've learned so many times is to reflect inward and say this. What sins do you need to deal with? Because as I deal with sins, did you know your pastor sins? once <laughs> but I've learned that as I deal with my sins I find myself being closer to who to Jesus isn't it amazing that when I have to confess my sins on how I deal with my children it helps them but it helps me more with Christ than it did with them when I have to admit that my wife was right once, I'm not just closer to her, I'm closer to who? Christ. And when my ministry hasn't been as well and I have to realize that I'm not the best pastor in the world, it helps our relationship with my people, but it draws me even closer to who? Christ. You see, Mark's got the answer that the tiding that we are to bring is that Jesus is here. The answer is in him.
What is it that's taking us away from His presence, from spending time with Him, from recognizing His work? I want to take you on a journey of becoming the greatest servant of the servant of all. It is my prayer that in weeks and months to come that you will learn that being the servant of Jesus, who is the servant of all, brings you so close to God you can't imagine. That you find it's not being the one in charge, it's not being the one in control, it's not being the one who has all the answers, it's not being the one that puts all the pieces together. Mark makes it clear that the gospel is not a mystery that we have to unfold and figure out. It's not a puzzle that we have to put all together to prove we have the right answers. The gospel is a person, and he's here, and we're not even worth untying or unstrapping his sandals. And yet he came to us. The Gospel of Mark. Oh, the backgrounds are horrible when Christians were treated the way they were. The beginnings were all tied to God, just like in creation. Mark's trying to put the canal. It's the beginning of all things. It begins with Jesus, nothing else in your life. It's about being with Jesus. It's not about the beliefs and the doctrines that you've put together. It's about discipleship. How close are you to Jesus. And so he finally writes us to say it is Jesus Christ. From the Old Testament Jesus from Yahushua or Joshua the anointed the promised one. If you want to experience the promises of God you must find yourself in Jesus Christ. The farther you get from Jesus, the more you miss the promises of God. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you experience the promises of God. Whatever it is in your life this morning, I encourage you, let's go through Mark together the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news, the glad tiding that can only be found in one. And it's in that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, I ask you, just how close are you to Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. For just the brief reminder, as Mark takes us on a quick journey, as he takes us from everything your son has done, that we would repeatedly see what he is doing, that we would repeatedly see who he is calling, as we repeatedly see our need to be with him. Lord, forgive us. In our humble reliance upon these glad tidings, we realize we too are unworthy to solve any of the issues that we face. Our only answer is to be drawn close to your son, Jesus Christ. He is the answer. Bring us close to him. In Jesus' name, I pray.
Amen. You would receive the benediction, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's children said, amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.